At that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hand. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you that here in America we don't have the struggle where the law is chasing us down. We thank you for that. We thank you for the time. But we also thank you for the fact that the story talks about how you work such amazing, wonderful things that gives us comfort and strength. We pray that this morning we may enjoy your word. And Pastor Bob may preach with truth and honesty. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Four things regarding Mary. This Mary that we are introduced to here in Acts chapter 12. The first thing is, is that she is a mother. The second thing is, is that she is a host. 
The third thing is, is that she is a prayer warrior. The fourth thing is, is that she is courageous. She is a mother. We are told in verse 12 that this particular Mary is the mother of a man by the name of John whose other name was Mark. Hence he becomes known as John Mark is the title by which he is often referred to to distinguish him from the apostle John because this is not him. This is the, the man, this John Mark, who is soon, in the next chapter, to join Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary tour. There seems to be some sort of relationship between this Mary, this woman here of uh, verse 12, and Barnabas. Although exactly what that relationship is, we are unsure in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 10, in some versions, we read that John Mark is a cousin of Barnabas. In others, we read that he is the nephew of Barnabas. So the exact relationship between Barnabas and Mary remains somewhat of a mystery, although we are assured of the fact they are relatives. They come from the same place, Barnabas came from Cyprus, and we learn that about this Mary as well. So is, it, is Barnabas her brother? Is Barnabas a cousin? Is it a brother-in-law? We, we don't quite know for sure, but a relative to be sure. This John Mark, this young man who is raised in her home, becomes then one of the first commissioned missionaries of the church of Jesus Christ. However, as the story goes, partway through that first journey, he goes back. He goes back to Jerusalem. We're not giving any information as to why. Some believe that the journey got hard and difficult. Some believe that when he realized that Paul and Barnabas' intent was to go further inland into what would be more hostile territory uh, that he decided it was too great a choice. There is nothing in scripture that would seem to necessarily indicate that though. And so we're left with the fact that he quit. He went back. That becomes a problem in Acts chapter 15 when Paul and Barnabas want to go out again on another missionary journey, Barnabas, perhaps because this young man is a relative, says to Paul, let's take John Mark along. And Paul says, no, we're not going to have him along again. I, I, I don't want to go through this fact that we got partway and he quit. It, that's not for me. There is a huge disagreement, and that's not understating the problem, between Paul and Barnabas at this point. They split up. Paul continues his journeys with a man by the name of Silas. Barnabas does indeed take John Mark along with him. And so in God's providence, rather than one team of missionaries out there evangelizing the world, we now have two experienced men along with two trainees out there 
evangelizing the world. So God uses even this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. He is the subject of the disagreement. And so we see this young man desires again to go out on the mission field. We also learn uh, or have come to, to understand that this John Mark is actually going to become the author of the second gospel. The gospel of Mark. Peter refers to this young man in 1 Peter 5.13 as his son. Much in the same way that Paul refers to Timothy as his son. As well, his spiritual son. There are many, most commentators believe that the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's rendition of the events that took place and Mark then becomes the author of it. One other interesting thing about this son of this woman by the name of Mary is that when we turn to Colossians 4 verse 10, we also learn that Paul, who is in prison at the time, thanks two men for being a comfort to him while he is in prison. The first is a man by the name of Aristarchus. The second is John Mark. So a young man who quit on that first missionary journey, who causes a disagreement, becomes a comfort to Paul. She raised fine young man. She raised a godly young man. She raised a young man that is the opposite of the young man of Proverbs 10 verse 1. The opposite of the fool who brings shame upon his mother. John Mark is a man we can say in a certain respect can make his mother Spiritually proud. But that's not all we know about her. We could stop there and say, see moms, what a great job you do. But there, there's more about this man, this woman. There, there's more about her life that is actually being revealed to us in this passage. Yes, she's a mother. But she is also a host. She owns a home, which raises the question, where's her husband? And apparently, she has none at this particular time. There is no mention ever made of him. Is that because he's an unbeliever? Perhaps. Is it just not noted? Maybe. But the language is odd in that it refers to her home exempt of any husband's ownership, which is an unusual thing for that day and age. She's probably widowed. Or perhaps, as one commentator at least believes, her husband left her when she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Which makes this whole business of her being a mother of this young man, John Mark, even more interesting, doesn't it? 
She seems to be a single parent household who then is responsible for the godly training of this young man. And it has fallen upon her shoulders. But as I said, she's also a host. The church gathers here. Verse 12, Acts 12. When he realized this, that is Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now, it doesn't come out in the English. But in the Greek, what comes out is the idea is this is a gathering spot. This isn't a one-time, I'll open my house for this special time of prayer. But this is an ongoing thing. This woman, this Mary, makes a regular habit of allowing the church to meet in her home. That the church of Jesus Christ is allowed to come into her home on a regular, ongoing basis. She is willing and ready to serve in whatever capacity that the Lord places before her. Now think of what it means that this woman on a regular, ongoing basis has to make her home or does make her home available to a large group to gather. One, it means her home is probably relatively large in and of itself. Seems like that's a, there's a gate, there, there's entrances that, that have to be there. There's a servant girl. She apparently is quite wealthy, quite well-to-do, and yet is not stingy, is yet is not keeping this all for herself. But she is using her wealth for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ. She is opening up her home. They need a place to meet. She has a large home. She goes out of her way on an ongoing, regular basis to bring them in. So, if we were to ask and think about this from a mother's perspective, what does it mean to invite a large group, a number of people that you really don't know how many are going to show up? It's not like you, you go, okay, I'm going to invite 10 people because I can deal with 10. You don't know if there's going to be 50. You don't know if there's going to be 75. You don't know if there's going to be 100. But you are willing to open your home for whoever comes. Now, ladies, what has to be done? If you're going to be a good host, if you're going to be hospitable, if you're going to practice hospitality in first century Judea, what do you have to do? Well, probably not all that much different than what most of you do when you have somebody over. There's cleaning. There's cleaning, and there's more cleaning. 
You got a group coming, what do you do? Vacuum, you dust. You do the windows. Every time there is cleaning, there is work, there is arranging, there is making space, there is probably the making of food. That probably as well is involved in this process. She is allowing herself to be the host, to provide for those who come. In this day and age, okay, this first century, it, it's not pot trust time. It's not sign up. Hey, I'll bring this, I'll bring that. Let, let's make it easy. No, the person to whose home you go is expected to provide the meal. They're expected to outlay the expense. This is what she does. Beyond the other rules of hospitality which deal with foot washing, garments, she is a host. She has a gift, a gift uh, that we'll later know in the scriptures as the gift of hospitality. The willingness to make herself and her home available to others. And she's a mother on top of it. Not unlike many of you. But thirdly, the third thing we learn about this woman is that she is one of the prayer warriors of the New Testament. Verse 5, while Peter is in prison, note, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That's who's referenced in verse 12. Those who were gathered together were praying. Those who were praying in verse 12 are the people who are in earnest prayer in verse 5. Earnest prayer means fervent prayer. Strenuous prayer. Intent prayer. Earnest prayer is that which Christ is doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the eve before the crucifixion. This isn't a few blossoms. This isn't just a few words and then we're done and we'll get on with lunch. She, along with the church of Jesus Christ, are intent, earnest. Heartfelt, deep conviction. The type of prayer that godly mothers engage in. The type of praying that many of you do as mothers for your children, for your family, for the church kingdom. The type of praying that 
many of us were blessed with having a mother that did. And there are many a, a Christian preacher, many a Christian leader who can be found in their writings to testify if it were not for my praying mother. I'm not sure what the providences of God would have held. She is a prayer warrior. Earnest. But it's not only earnest, it's persistent. It's not just, okay, we'll do this for a few minutes and, and have some good, earnest prayer, and, and then, okay, then it's on to things. But we'll be intent here for 30 minutes or so. Notice the whole context of Acts chapter 12. The whole situation is that since Peter has been taken into prison, verse 5, the church has been praying. Now it is late at night. This is the time of night where the streets are dead. Notice Peter's not in, engaging any conversation. There's not people going and back and forth. This is late at night. People are usually asleep. Usually people are in bed. But the church is praying. It's late. And they've been at this for hours and hours and hours. But they're going to continue. Needs be all night long because tomorrow morning Herod is going to decide what he's going to do with Peter this is not something you simply pray for for five minutes and then go well we'll see what happens in the morning this is persistent prayer on the part of the church Part of these believers, part of this mother. But it's also answered prayer, isn't it? <laughs> answered prayer to the point where we almost have to kind of chuckle and laugh a little bit about the circumstances and situation, right? They're praying, they're praying so hard. Lord, deliver Peter, Lord, deliver Peter. He's standing outside the door, knocking on the door. And they can't even believe that their prayer has already been answered. While they're praying, God's delivering. God's already bringing about a release. Probably far different than that in which they're even praying. Their prayer is probably, Lord, change, Pete, change Herod's heart. Lord, change Herod's mind. Lord, intervene in, in the life of Herod. They're probably praying mostly about Herod and the change of heart. That they're praying for. Meanwhile, the Lord's going to get a whole different plan. I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to deliver Peter, but not the way that you think. I doubt very seriously that any of these people are there praying, Lord, send an angel to open the doors, to unlock the chains, to bring him through gates, to bring him past the guard. If they were, I don't think they'd be saying, Rhoda, 
you're out of your mind. Peter's not there. Our prayers get answered tomorrow morning. Our prayer doesn't get answered tonight. Come on, Rhoda. Think. Must be his angel. Meanwhile, rap, 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 rap. Somebody going to get that door? And there stands Peter. Answered prayer. But not always in the way that we expected. Not always what we think God will do is what God does. Sometimes the answer to God's prayer is the long journey home. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes God's answering even while we're praying. My guess is, is that there are probably a num any number of you. I can say it in general for all of you, but, but let, me, let me deal with it just with mothers. Because I, I think this kind of reflects more upon mothers. There's probably any number of you. Who at 1.30 in the morning have still been praying, Lord, I don't know where they are. They haven't called, they haven't told us, Lord, I'm worried. Please bring them home safely. And before the prayer is done, you've heard the door click. Prayer of a believing, godly mother is an amazing, powerful tool that the Lord is pleased to bless and honor. Mothers never underestimate that power and that influence. Because the truth is, we're snoring next week. But you're praying. You're praying. Thank you for being the Mary type of prayer warrior. But there is a fourth thing. Not only is she a mother, not only is she this host, not only is she a prayer warrior... She is also courageous. Do you get the context in which this is happening? Now that's, that's why I go back and read verses 1 through 4. What's happening? What has taken place? Well, let's set the context even back even further. Let's go to chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9. What's happening? What's taking place? Paul is on a rampage. Then Saul... He's on a rampage. All sorts of things are going on. All sorts of things are happening. He's going out with letters. He's going out finding any Christian he can. With the death of Stephen, the church leaders or the, the Jewish leaders of that day become emboldened to go up to take power, to take action against the church. 
And Saul is the figurehead of it. He's going out to foreign cities. Christians are scattering from Jerusalem. But it doesn't end the church. It's not like that ceases the church. God in his amazing providences enters the heart of Saul through the power of his Holy Spirit and transforms this man so that he is born again and now himself becomes a missionary. So now Herod steps that up. What does Herod do? Verse Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. This is their circumstance. Herod is now getting himself involved. It's not just Pharisees and Sadducees. It's not just Sanhedrin. Now, it's Herod. And he goes to the extent of killing James, the brother of John. James and John's the son of Zebedee. These bulwarks of the church kills James. Jews are pleased. Well, let's continue this. That's what brought Peter into prison. That's why he's there. And he's going to have him killed. This isn't about keeping Peter in prison. This is about saving Peter during the time of unleavened bread because he doesn't want to anger the Jews and do this during that time. So he's waiting patiently until the feast of unleavened bread is over. Then his plan is to kill Peter with the sword just as he did James. In that context, in the midst of that persecution, Persecution from Jewish religious leaders. Persecution from the government of Herod. Come to my house. You're welcome to meet in my home. I will open up my home. You realize the danger she has exposed herself to? Do you realize the danger she's exposed her son to? But this is a woman of courage. This is a woman of great faith. This is a woman who knows her scriptures. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord thy God is with thee. This is a woman who is willing to be bold in the time in which boldness is needed and required so much. Do you notice at the end of the story, it, it, it kind of gives you the clue as to how rough things are. Because Peter says, you know, I think it's best that I get out of here. Because I'm a lightning rod. If Herod finds me here, you're all in danger. Yeah, they're all in danger. Willing to be that courageous, bold in the midst of the culture of the day. They're willing to be acknowledged as belonging to Christ. 
being a Christian mother in this day and age is actually two strikes against you, isn't it? Being a Christian comes with its own opposition. Being a mother in this day and age is also not that acceptable. Your courage is needed. Your boldness is of a necessity. Your willingness to associate with Jesus Christ is crucial. Because you see, she understands that it is more important to set that example of godliness for her John Mark than it is to quit and run. Mary the courageous. There must have been tremendous pressure. Tremendous pressure. Tremendous stress upon women like, like Mary. One of wealth. One who owns a home. One of some notoriety then probably. To cave in. There probably were relatives say, what are you following this Nazarene guy for? What are you following the, what these fishermen are telling you for anyway? What about the old ways? What about, what about going to the temple? See, there are other witnesses surrounding me. Therefore, since I am surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, I throw off the sin that so easily entangles, the weight that holds me back. And I run with endurance the race that Christ has set out for me. This, this is that which Mary looks at. See, you don't need pages and pages and pages of Scripture written about you. For there are witnesses. And someday, Lord willing, someday, there will be those who look to you and say, you were my witness to keep at it, to hold in there, times were tough, when times were difficult, you, you did not cave into the pressure. You were the courageous one. Thank you for being a mother in Israel. Father, we do thank you again for the gift that you have blessed us with, the gift of godly mothers in this congregation within the church of Jesus Christ, over the course of time and history, they too, Father, stand as those witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses, so that we each, we each as sons and daughters, might run the race with endurance that you have set out for us. Father, thank you for 
these words that you have placed in your holy word to remind us of this woman, of your great power, of your deliverance, of those, Father, who sacrificed so much for the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessing of always being present. In Christ's name, God's people say,